this is Emily. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Now, today, we want to talk about one of our favorite subjects that is the subject of many an actual conversation that you and I have, but from our, you know, uniquely feminist bent on today's podcast, and that is the rise of skincare, skincare as self-care, and potentially skincare as feminist's latest salve in a very toxic world. Ain't that right, Bean? That is very right. It's real out there in these streets. We are one year into a Trump presidency, and it seems like every day we live in fear of what is next, whether it's a new god-awful racist garbage tweet or just a little thing like nuclear war. It seems like every day there is something new to give us wrinkles from anxiety and stress. (laughs) Exactly. And as a disclaimer, I may or may not have done a mask, a face mask, in my hotel room last night. So this feels like a near and dear subject to me, especially because when I turned 30, my skin has been revolting against me. I've had the worst acne of my entire life. And so I've this past year, just started to get it into facials and toners and all kinds of serums that are out there now. And when I started to pull on the sort of string that is uh, skincare, it felt like this whole wide world unraveled beneath me. And it turns out I'm far from alone on that. You are not alone. I am also in that camp. I was the kind of person for the longest time I would do Cetaphil in the morning, nothing else, done. Same. And honestly, this sounds a bit strange, but this is how I feel When I left my job at Planned Parenthood, I kept telling people, taking care of my skin is my new full-time job. And so I got very (laughs) invested in routines, in serums, in masks, in reading about them online, joining communities about them. Shout out to Skincare Addiction on Reddit. I got very into the community aspect of taking care of my skin. And really, my skin's never looked better, so... (laughs) I can vouch for that, folks. It's true. And it's funny because there's definitely this trending phenomenon around skincare that 2017 really became sort of a a threshold year for it. I love this piece by Gia Tolentino for The New Yorker, which, by the way, this was like a sarcastic piece, would you call it? Sardonic? I would almost call it bittersweet. Yeah. It's sort of, it's almost so real and dark and relatable (laughs) that it's, funny? Is it satire? I can't tell because she gets so dark it feels satirical at times. But here's here's what she basically, here's her angle. The piece is called The Year That Skincare Became a Coping Mechanism. And her on-point piece opens like this. Quote, over the summer, in one of my many small, ridiculous attempts to affirm myself that I will outlive the Trump administration, I decided to incorporate both retinol and sunscreen into my daily skincare routine. Both were recommended to me last year by a dermatologist. Retinol is an anti-aging ingredient, and I flinched a little, fancying myself too young at 28 for the Sisyphean hobby of trying to halt the effects of time on one's body. But when I went home and did some research, clicking around various beauty publications while checking the news on my Twitter feed, which every few seconds loaded a fresh batch of disorientation and dread, the websites told me that I should have started retinol earlier. I thought about the moment... A few weeks after the election, when I found my first gray hair, and how, soul-wise, several thousand years had passed since then, skin seemed like a nice, controllable project. And as it turned out, it both was and was not. (laughs) 
I can relate to this on so many levels. On the one hand, you might be thinking, oh, your dread about a Trump presidency has led you to taking better care of your skin. But I remember one day waking up feeling so depressed and sad about who was in our White House and thinking, what can I actually control in my life? And it really kind of reminds me of the episode we did around haircuts. Yeah. Where, you know, you feel like you can control this aspect of how you present in the world Mm -hmm. looks-wise, and that makes you feel better about things. I also just... Not to get too dark on you, but I spend a lot of time worrying about environmental collapse. If you know me in real life, it's something I, I'm sure I've mentioned is my paranoia around it. It's not paranoia. Or, I mean, it's, it's like real fear. going to happen and we're all going to die. Yeah, yeah. But our skin can look really good as we do. And I know that sounds, I know that sounds like I'm joking, but it's real. I think in this piece, what I connected with is this idea that there, we don't know what the future will look like. There might not even be a future. Take care of your skin now because you might not even get the chance to do it later. It's so funny you say that because Tolentino hits the nail on the head exactly. She says, quote, there's also something perversely, unexpectedly hopeful about skincare in today's political context. Traditionally, skincare represents an attempt to deny the inevitability of the future. For me, right now, it functions as part of a basic dream in which the future simply exists. Damn, that's bleak, but I get it. I get it. It's so over the top, but I love it. And I think it taps into this dark way that many of us are feeling deep down inside. It's almost like nihilistic. It's totally nihilistic. But, I mean, regardless, whatever the driving force behind it, there is no doubt that the market is booming for skincare. Korean beauty in particular has popularized skincare. It's been exported, really, to the United States and across the globe. There's a 10-step nightly routine that is part of the sort of Korean beauty exports that's made it here to the United States. There are new face masks everywhere you go. I'm a big fan of them. And in some ways, they're made for the Snapchat generation, right? They're, like, made for social media. And really, the Asian markets are dominating the skincare industry, amassing 51% of the world's sales when it comes to the skincare market. The latest sort of trend or rise in terms of the next big thing in skincare is a bit controversial. It's weed-related. CBD, basically cannabis oil, is now the latest trend when it comes to toners and tonics and basically things you put on your face. Despite the fact that it's still classified by the federal government as a Schedule One drug, basically means that the companies who are both profiting from selling all these CBD oils are potentially risking violation of federal courts or lawsuits and liabilities that make this market kind of like a black market for skincare. Wait, does it actually get you high no, through your no. pores? Actually, THC, the best known cannabinoid, which is what gets you high off of weed, doesn't tend to be in most CBD oils. But CBD oils do apparently have some benefits, like acting as an anti-inflammatory anti-convulsant, antioxidant, anti-emetic, anti-whatever. Like, basically, it's a detoxifier. And that's the trend that we've seen skincare really capitalize on. But I guess my question is, is this truly self-care? Or is this just a pathetic attempt for us to control something in our increasingly toxic and scary world that we live in? That's a great question. You know me. I always push back against things that make it seem like, quote, self-care or all 
mani pedis and face masks <laughs> and wearing a terry cloth robe in a bathtub with a bath bomb in it. Sure, that is probably self-care for some, but I always push back on that illustration because I think it loses some of the meaning in what self-care actually is. But listen, times are tough out there. It's bleak <laughs> out there. If taking care of your skin makes you feel good, if you feel your very best when you present with a glowing, sparkling face, then maybe it is self-care. I don't know. I think where I call bullshit is just an industry that's capitalizing on women's desire for a sense of control in our lives right now. And they're just selling us the same shit, right? They're just, they're basically just profiting off of our desire to hashtag self-care it up in a wildly antagonistic world. So I don't know. I mean, for me, self-care is saving my money and not buying loads of skincare products. But did you do a mask just today? I did. I did do a mask <laughs> yesterday. But I did the cheapest mask in the aisle at Walgreens. There you go. But, you know, I'm just saying, like, don't let's not all buy into this and go spend $400 on skincare. I, I got facials. I do get facials because I do like a good facial. But I did get a pack of three facials on Groupon. I don't know. Fair point, Bridget. There's a lot of hypocrisy in my condemnation of it. I'm just saying there are lots of ways to take care of yourself. And the other, you know what my other beef with all of this is? Are we really taking care of our skin for ourselves? Or have we been conditioned into thinking that our wrinkles make us undesirable and therefore we should start taking retinol at age 27. That's what I want to dive into next after this quick break. And we're back and we're arguing over skincare. <laughs> we're debating. I feel like we're always debating skincare stuff just this time on the pod. That's real. But the question is, is it really skincare self-care or are we taking care of our skin because we don't want to be old, wrinkly hags that are unwanted by our society? Yeah, I love a good serum, a good mask, all of that, but I don't even consider it self-care. I'm very clear. I enjoy the thrill of going to a fancy store and looking at a fancy serum and trying it out. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to myself that the act of spending $35 on pink rose-scented water that I spray <laughs> on my face and probably does nothing is a part of my self-care routine. I know what's going on. It's a completely capitalistic exchange that brings me great joy, and that is fine. Okay, as long as you're fully conscious as you're spritzing yourself with rose water, fine by me. Uh, let's just, just make sure we're devoting as much to our rose water budget as we are to our 401ks. Fair. Hashtag Roth IRA. Okay, so the question is, is this driven by a fear of being un I think that's true. <laughs> Women are taught to cling to being beautiful, young, youthful, aka fuckable. There's nothing scarier, but in some ways more freeing than not feeling beautiful, young, vivacious, all of that. Well, it's interesting. It reminds me of this hilarious skit that was on the Amy Schumer show on Comedy Central uh, called The Last day. Amy's walking through the woods and she stumbles across a tea party that's happening with some of her favorite actresses, Tina Fey, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Patricia Arquette. And they're celebrating what they call Julia's last f***able day, which bewilders Amy, understandably. But here's what they have to say about it. In every actress's life, the media decides when you finally reach the point where you're not believably f***able anymore. 
I mean, how do you know? Who tells you? Oh, well, nobody, nobody really overtly tells you, but there right. are signs. You like, you know yeah. how um, Sally Field was Tom Hanks's love interest in Punchline, and then like 20 minutes later, she was his mom in Forrest Gump. Or you might get offered a rom-com with Jack Nicholson where you're competing with another woman to fuck him. Or I just had an audition for Mrs. Claus. You're kidding me. I read for that part. I, I read for that too. You did? <laughs> hey, who got that? J-Lo. <gasps> oh, she'll be good. She's going to be really good. Really good. Mm. Or you go to a movie set, you go to wardrobe, mm -hmm. and the only thing they have for you to wear are long sweaters. Like, cover you up, head to toe kind of thing. Where, like, the poster for your movie is just like a picture of the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> With these very uplifting and yet vague mm. titles like, whatever it takes, or she means well. <laughs> And honestly, I mean, they go on to explain that for women who are in the public eye in this way, that they can try to be what they compare to as the real housewives, which is to basically manipulate age and get a lot of plastic surgery and maybe double down on Botox. But that's not a great option because then you end up looking kind of desperate, one might say. And they go on to explain that men don't have this problem to contend with. But the interesting thing here that, to come back to the New Yorker piece, she states in there, is that this is not just for Hollywood women. This is not just an experience that actresses face. It's, I think, part of the fear that's driving the skincare renaissance right now. Totally. Not only is this the good old-fashioned patriarchy that women have been dealing with forever... But now, with Trump in the White House, it seems like it's mixed with this new concoction of anxiety and dread to have a new impetus as to why skincare would be such a hot thing right now. Exactly. And Tolentino in The New Yorker says, listen, while my skin feels good, I feel happy. You know, my skin is a miraculous six-pound organ that keeps my blood and muscles from spilling all over the sea train, and I'd like to treat it well. There is an element of, of self-care there, right? She's acknowledging she cares about herself in that way. But, she goes on to write, at the same time, it's impossible to ignore that the animating idea of the beauty industry is that women should always be working to look better. And that means, in our culture, that we should always be working to look as young as possible, shielding ourselves from what Susan Sontag in her essay, The Double Standard of Aging, calls, quote, the humiliating process of gradual sexual disqualification. Mm. Ooh, that's harsh. I mean, so listen, the rise of skincare in the past year doesn't seem unrelated to the increase in anxiety and this desire to also increase your self-care. But it, it can't be separated, I think, from this underlying assumption that what we're really talking about here is anti-aging. But the beauty industry has basically collectively given up that term, anti-aging. That's taboo now, isn't it? It is taboo. You see things like pro-aging or glowy, these weird sort of euphemisms where we all kind of know what they mean, but they don't come out and say, you won't look older, you'll look younger. Right. And now we've kind of decided that it's not okay to say that, but that's still the outcome that they're pushing. We're all saying the same Right. But like, we're pretending like we're more woke about ageism when we're not. Yeah. And Amanda Hess called out the industry beautifully in the New York Times in a piece called The Ever-Changing Business of Anti-Aging. 
she calls out the September issue of Allure, and on their cover last year, they had 72-year-old actress Helen Mirren with an arm around her of a 20-something-year-old tattooed guy, as if he's the new hot accessory. Allure calls her a hero and basically calls on the beauty industry to end anti-aging. Inside, the editor, Michelle Lee, says that they're going to stop using the term anti-aging in the pages of Allure magazine, opting for, quote, a celebration of growing into your own skin, wrinkles and all. Now, this is not to say she's not going to promote retinol, the element in many anti-aging products that prevent wrinkles, because as she puts it, quote, no one's suggesting giving up retinol. She's not like that crazy. But what she wants to change is the packaging and the marketing used to sell retinol. She seeks to embrace euphemism, quote, changing the way we think about aging starts with changing the way we talk about aging. But wait, that sounds really great and all, but isn't it just the same stuff with different wrapping? Totally. So then what is it really? Which makes me roll my eyes, add this entire thing as a fake trend created to profit other capitalists. That's all. I'm just saying, like, this is all bullshit. And Amanda Hess is basically on board. She goes on to say that they're just stretching their linguistic euphemisms to sell the same old stuff to women. She says, after all, all women, if you're lucky, continue to age every day, right? As a living woman, we are constantly getting older. So from the very beginning, the whole purpose of the beauty industry was to play into those insecurities and tell us there's something we have to do to fix that. She quotes a 1908 issue of Woman Beautiful magazine that promoted a multi-product home regimen for fighting facial wrinkles that's basically the same stuff as what they're still selling today, an astringent, creams, and an electric vibrating massager. But back in the day, the beauty industry was far from using euphemisms to make women feel ashamed of their skin. So yeah, we're talking about these early ads that say things like, quote, middle-aged skin, and they talk about it like it's this terrible affliction. They say it could affect women as young as 22 and then blames it on all kinds of romantic disappointments from, quote, girls with empty date books to the wife who, quote, loses love. All of these things are apparently terrible for your skin and give you the terrible, terrible, awful affliction that is middle-aged skin. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, one ad even featured Cupid sitting with his head in his hands crying, I give up, saying like, she won't even work with me here to try to land her a man. Look at that wrinkly hag. And there's this other ad in 1926 for a facial treatment that reads, Poor Lois, see how old she's growing? So this idea of, like, female self-loathing being an open part of how they used to market beauty products to us, and skincare in particular, I guess it makes it seem a lot better that we're at least not that bad anymore. I think that's probably real. Even though I threw a little bit of shade at this idea early on, I guess if you have to buy soap and lotion, you may as well be able to buy products that don't feed on you feeling completely awful and hating yourself for doing the normal process that is aging to get you to buy it. Well, at least not openly. Exactly, exactly. But I also think that even though it's not 1909 anymore, you still have ads that feed on women's anxieties about their looks in order to get them to feel like they need products. I mean, look at the vaginal care industry where... They make it seem like if you have a vagina that has a smell, it's the worst thing ever and you should go live on an island alone because you're a terrible person. Talk about skincare. Right. That's a very sensitive (laughs) kind of skincare. 
And just to be clear, we do not advocate the use of those like crazy ass douches. Talk to your gynecologist if you are insecure about that. So as far as we've come since like 1908, the, the dialogue has actually changed quite a bit after the whole like you're an ugly, wrinkly hag, open shaming of women that you know, glossed the pages of beauty magazines in the turn of the century. In the 90s, the vernacular kind of shifted to this battle. It was presented as an aggressive narrative. Militarized language became very in vogue. There were ads instructing women to tackle or combat and fight against aging to stage a, quote, intervention on their skin. Revlon's age-defying makeup basically told women, don't deny it, defy it. So sort of this idea of like you versus time, you versus aging and the natural aging process that's affecting your skin. So we've come even farther than that. Like at least we've left those battle lines behind. And now we're talking about youthful glowing skin. Yeah, it's interesting to really chart the progression of how we went from you're an ugly old dried out hag and no wonder (laughs) you're going to die lonely by yourself because your skin looks bad. To you can knock out aging, the totally normal process that is growing older, being demonstrated on your skin, you can defy that through magic if you buy this product. Like, it almost illustrates how we as women have been taught to fear something that is totally natural. Also, it felt like it was capitalizing on feminism. Like, you're a strong woman, you can outsmart aging. You know, that's, see, that's, that's where all of this stuff still bothers me. It's the same. We're just being told to buy something out of insecurity, and it's being packaged to us as though it's empowering move around self-care. I mean, the latest move that anti-aging and the whole skincare industry is capitalizing on is the trends associated with the wellness movement and the self-care popularity. Amanda Hess points this out perfectly in her New York Times piece. She says, quote, these days, the beauty industry is preparing to transcend the wrinkle entirely. The new scheme is obsessed with coding products as all natural, eco-friendly, and wellness-promoting elements of self-care. See, I get caught up in this in a really real way. I follow all these different beauty bloggers on Instagram, and Lord knows I am not living the life of a beauty blogger or like an Insta influencer. If if you've seen my Instagram, you know this. But they'll have all of these gorgeous little bottles lined up in their beautiful bathroom next to like a candle and a plant. And you just think, I want that life. And they really capitalize on this idea that there is this way to perform femininity, and not just femininity, but feminine self-care and feminine wellness that you can do right or do wrong, and they are doing it so right. And I scroll through and I'm like, oh my God, that looks so relaxing. Like, they must be living their best life, and it's all kind of a farce. (laughs) Exactly. Let's talk more about that and how we've decided to integrate skincare into our lives and how we can be conscious consumers on this front after this quick word from our sponsors. And we are back. So we were just breaking down all the ways in which the skincare industry has tricked women or shamed women into buying their products to stop the natural aging process. But it's not all bad. I think it's fair to say that we can critique this industry as the capitalist enterprise that it is and also acknowledge that we like facials. We like a good 
mask night in a hotel. I do. And I think for me, it's about parsing between, okay, who am I doing this for? What is this performance for? Do I feel better after I take care of my skin with a facial? Do I feel better after spending money on a facial that I don't have? No. You know what I mean? Like, I think we have to keep in mind that self-care looks different for everyone. So I don't know. I think it's up to us to make sure that we're taking care of our skin in a way that's for us and not a part of a performance for other people. I think that's exactly it. It's really about knowing yourself, knowing what you need to take care of yourself. And I'm not going to say that skincare can't be self-care for somebody out there. Yeah. I'm saying it's important to remember that self-care doesn't always look like a gorgeous beauty mask or a bath bomb, that it can look like talking to a therapist or medication or working out or drinking water or any number of things that don't look so glamorous and don't play so well on Instagram. (laughs) I think the marrying of skincare with self-care makes us forget that a little bit. And I just want to remind folks that that's real. Yeah. Also, a 10-step nightly routine sounds oppressive to me. I'm not on board with that. So keep in mind, your time is your most precious resource. And how you spend both your time and money is about your values. Make sure that you're aligning how you spend your time, whether it's on a 10-step routine at night or not, on things that matter to you and not things that are being told should matter to us. Right? That's real. It's a hard balance to strike, though. It is hard, and I'm so guilty of losing that nuance a little bit and thinking that if my skin looks good and I have all the right products and it looks so cute in my bathroom, that I'm winning. And that doesn't, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. No matter how cute Glossier's cloud paint is, that's oh, it's not how so it works. Oh, it's so good, though. <laughs> Glossier, like, I'm a complete Glossier convert. convert. Somebody on Twitter had a great tweet that was like, Glossier is basically for girls who have great skin, but, like, want to look slightly damp or (laughs) spray rose water on their faces at night just for that dewy glow. Yeah, it's, yeah. They just came out with a product that's for my troubled skin, acne-prone skin right now. Mm, That's a first for them, yeah? Yeah, it is. So I'll have to check it out. But you know what I like about them? A, their use of totally relatable models, the not Pinterest perfection that they use on their ads. Like, they had a model with a zit using glossier cloud paint. And I was like, damn, that's noticeable to me. And then the other thing is their affordability. This is not a glossier ad, by the way, but they aren't, you know, they aren't like jacking their prices through the roof when they probably could. This, I swear this is not a glossier ad. <laughs> it's not. And they're, they're not paying us. Although but we take their money. Yeah, I use <laughs> their Milky Jelly cleanser and it works better than cleansers that cost double that. Right. And so I do like the, the nod toward Slight affordability. $18 for a cleanser is still a lot of money. Yeah, and I'm not going to pretend like that's so affordable for everybody. But when you look at the amount of money that people will spend, especially on stuff like serums, it's like hundreds of dollars. Who would spend that on a serum? Do you say serum? I say serum. Ooh. Am I saying it wrong? I don't think so. I think it's just a slight accent that's coming through. Oh. Okay, listeners, do you say serum or serum? We want to know. Tweet at us. And really, we want to hear how you feel about all of this. Is skincare self-care or is it just another ploy to get your hard-earned dollars? Send us a tweet at Mom's Dove Podcast. Get on us on Instagram. But don't send us your perfect-looking bathroom nighttime routines, okay? Because I will just buy all the products and <laughs> it won't work on me and I'll be sad. It'll make me feel bad. So find us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You. And as always, our inbox is open at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. Mm-hmm. 